0: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now, here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
1: Good morning, this is Cheryl Esposito with Leading Conversations, and we are very privileged to have a special guest with us today, Margaret Wheatley, who many of us know as Meg Wheatley. And Meg is a world renowned author, speaker, and consultant. Her books include Leadership and the New Science, Discovering Order in a Chaotic World, Finding Our Way, Leadership for an Uncertain Time, and one of my favorites, Turning to One Another, Simple Conversations to Restore Hope to the Future. Meg, welcome. I'm very happy to be here, Cheryl. Oh, it's so nice
2: to hear your voice. So tell everybody where you are today. I'm in my home, which is a rare occurrence, in the beautiful (laughs) mountains of Utah. Oh, how great. With our clear blue skies and... Clear air.
1: How nice. A beautiful way to live. You travel the world a lot, so coming home to a place of beauty is important, huh?
2: It certainly is, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, today's topic, Are We Becoming Leaders for This Time?, is something that you have spent a lot of time in your life looking at and sharing and shaping how leaders should show up in the world, how they can, how organizations can share shape their um, performance, shape their cultures, and have people who really want to be there. And so today I'm really hoping to get into some of this. And you've talked about that there is a call to fearlessness for gentle leaders, and I find that absolutely a fascinating statement. Um, Being fearless, being gentle, um, we typically equate fearlessness with something that is aggressive, and so yeah,
2: I, I'm getting more and more focused on the issue of warriorship. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean it as spiritual warriorship, but mm-hmm. it it includes things beyond that for me. Now, it's the whole concept of the person who. The wonderful definition uh, that um, a. Fearlessness means not being afraid of who you are. Oh. And I've been exploring that now with colleagues. It's about not being afraid of our own visions, our own goodness. You know, it's not that that quote doesn't direct us to our neuroses, but rather to our capacities. Hmm. And I've also been encouraging people to just... Think about whether they do see themselves as a spiritual warrior at this time because the way it impacts us as consultants, coaches, or leaders is that. If we think that everything can be fine, again, just as it was, although I don't think it ever was fine, but no. let's just, you know, that what we need to do is just fix and repair existing systems. So we're going to fix healthcare, care. We're going to fix public education. And what that comment implies is that these systems are basically okay. And by that I mean that their basic assumptions, their their ways of operating, their beliefs about people, motivation, how work gets done, what organizations look like—that all of those assumptions are fine. And it's just our task to repair them. Hmm. Now, the the reason I go to the spiritual warrior, which I sometimes also just think of as the pioneers, Hmm. um, is. If you don't think things are repairable and that these systems are just in a state of necessary uh, collapse, then the question is, uh, what's my work? Mm -hmm. If I'm not going to go in there and fix things, what is my work? And I think that's where... Spiritual warriorship and fearlessness come in because it's a very difficult, lonely role. But it means that you're going to try and embody the future, even as we live through this very crazy, terrible time. Mm -hmm. And that you're going to be a champion for human goodness, for the human spirit. You're going to be a champion for uh, knowing that work can be done in ways that that do inspire us and engage us, but you're going to be out of the mainstream, and therefore uh, I think it calls for a quality of fearlessness that has not been asked of us previously.
1: Well, how did you find your own fearlessness? I mean, you've been having conversation around subjects like this for a long time outside of the mainstream, thinking,
2: where did that come from in you? I actually don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I I remember... um, Well, let me say, I think it comes from just assuming that that when something is clear to me, it should be clear to everyone else, Mm -hmm. and not understanding that it could be avant-garde or ahead of its time. I mean, I do remember... So many people telling me that leadership in the new science was a courageous book, and I would just look at them and say, "Well no, it's just you <sighs> know these are great ideas and mm-hmm. we should we should really look at them." And I think um, clarity is one of the things that leads to fearlessness just right. you know and more and more of us have it. more and more of us know that working together should be more Fun, should be more inspiring, should be something we want to do. Um, And so, uh, one of the great quotes I work with, and it's related to fearlessness, is that you hold a memory of the future. You hold um, the
1: memory of the future.
2: Yeah, that that having hope is a memory of the future. Oh, wow. You know, we just don't go about our work blindly thinking that, well, maybe this will work, maybe that will work. That we actually are holding a memory, even if we haven't yet had the experience, a memory of how life could be and how work could be.
1: And so that informs our actions and Absolutely. our thinking and, and how we get to that clarity. That's right. Yeah. Do you practice
2: um, quieting meditations? Is there a discipline? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I could not yeah. be out in the world as much as I am with all of its grief and horrors. Um, and that's grief and horrors inside major organizations, yeah. but also in third world countries. So Right, right. Um, but there's so much suffering. And I know I couldn't be out there if I didn't have a a very committed spiritual practice. I mean, peace does not come to you casually these days, and you don't get it from the external environment. So I think we all have to develop some form of practice that actually makes us familiar with peace and centeredness so we can be out there and be helpful to others.
1: I like that, so that we can become familiar with peace. You know, how can we be um, helping others be peaceful if we don't know what that is? Huh? That's right. Yeah. Well, and, you know, in your book, um, Turning to One Another, Simple Conversations to Restore Hope to the Future, um, I have to tell you that was published shortly after 9-11, and it was obvious that it had been written before 9-11. Right. And um, I was, it was almost chilling to me as I read that and thought, oh, my gosh, this applies so much to um, what's going on, turning to one another, having conversation. Can you talk a little bit about the premise of that book?
2: Well, the premise is stated at the very beginning that we can change the world if we only start talking to one another again. And the conversation is the way human beings have always been together, made plans, developed strategies, you know, long before we got into this over-technical, uh, all these processes that just, you know, we were filling in the boxes or check things off or do project plans. And conversation is still the dominant mode of planning, even in our very large corporations. We just, it isn't visible to us. Um, but in terms of if you want to build community, if you want to establish trusting relationships, um, there is only one way to do that, and that's by conversation. I think the great tragedy of this time is no, we no longer want to talk to each other. Hmm. You know, we know our position, we have our position, and that's it.
1: And that's very much the way the media... Plays things out for us these days. Um, how do we teach people to think? Because it seems that that is a uh, basic fundamental yeah. of conversation. <laughs> it's a right? Disappearing you
2: know? skill, let me tell you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that. What we need to do, first of all, is realize that in a high-stress, fast-paced environment, which is our lives these days, that we actually lose our capacity to think. Mm-hmm. We only react. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lose our capacity to see patterns, to find meaning, to view the big picture, to connect the dots. Um, and so you can't actually turn that four-fifths of the brain, it's all the good gray matter. You can't turn that back on just by telling people that we need to look at, you know, we need to connect the dots. The only way to restore thinking is to put us, gather us together in a more relaxed, safe environment where we feel, okay, I can breathe again. I don't have to, you know, speak rapid fire Cadence. I could just sit and listen. We just need to slow down in order to re-engage our brains. And then, you know, then we can think. But we can't actually think in this current work environment or in the current um, pace of even our private lives. Mm.
1: I'm wondering about places like the UN where... Um, I think that the purpose there is to think through the big issues, and yet my impression is that there are a lot of, there's a lot of positioning. And there's a lot of. Well, if
2: you look at any of our deliberative bodies, you don't even have to go as far as the UN, just look at local city councils, sure. school board meetings, um, town meetings. They're just places for people to state their position. Mm-hmm. We don't settle down and. Um, really begin to listen to each other. Do you You think there's going to be I want to be heard therefore I speak louder and louder. Right.
1: Do you think there's going to be a tipping point something that
2: where we turn around? Well the tipping point could go either way at this point. We could just tip into uh, more and more desperate insanity or we could tip into enough is enough and people actually start to get focused on what they want to create together. But I don't I it's not clear to me which way it's going. When
1: you oh, boy. What do you well now I'm going to ask the question and I'm gonna let you hold the answer till after our break. But the question is um what would be happening if we saw things moving in the direction where things could be more positive toward that positive tipping point of conversation. Um, what do you think would be some of the keys going on in our culture? And we're going to
3: ask you that to answer that when we come right back. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business
0: Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with debbie millman right here on the bottom line in business talk voice america
3: business keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business this is voice america business we
0: appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. All
1: right. And we're speaking with Meg Wheatley today, co-founder of Berkana Institute and author of Leadership in the New Science, Discovering Order in a Chaotic World. Meg, we're talking about reaching a tipping point in our culture of getting to a place of being able to have actual conversations. And um, you mentioned that the tipping point could actually go in either direction, toward uh, desperate insanity or more toward uh, collaborative trying to build community, and make things happen. Now, is there um, something, are there things that you would see that could be happening before we get to the tipping point, things that could be in place? um, Well, there are, you
2: know, a lot of my colleagues are out there all over the world Mm -hmm. really encouraging conversation, teaching people how to... uh, play the role of leader as host rather than leader as boss, a lot of, you know, some communities really now changing the conversational processes. Mm -hmm. There are all these um, discrete and separate efforts. um, And the real work that would, you know, shift us to a tipping point, and this is, What I've been writing about most recently Mm. is that we need to start connecting these small efforts because it's through our connections that we actually reach what you would call a tipping point and what I would call emergence into Mm. something far more powerful. Mm. And uh, I just want to let everyone know that they can download any of my articles for free on my website, which is just my name, margaretwheatley.com. Wonderful.
1: Wonderful. And so you talk more about this connecting. And so it sounds like there is opportunity um, for collaboration. And so, for instance, if you. Were I think going we to-
2: actually, it's not only, uh, you know, it, let's talk about our role here. Okay. Because we're the ones who are either going to make this happen or not. So we have to create opportunities for collaboration, not just look Excellent. for them. And we have to insist on slowing things down. We have to become good listeners ourselves. Um, we have to be willing to listen for the differences and not have our own point of view be the only one. So there's a lot of work that if we were all to do it, it would represent a significant shift forward. Hmm. You've
1: talked about um, Fearless Questions, and they call the Fearlessness for Gentle Leaders. How is that connected to what could emerge?
2: Well, those questions are, going back to my first comments, those questions are really to focus us on who do we, how do we name ourselves, first of all. So I introduced the naming of Am I a spiritual warrior? Mm. Am I a pioneer? Am I a fixer? Am I a consultant? Which means that I do accept the, you know, the the power that is, mm. or what exists, and I'm just going to be helpful. Uh, but it's really important to choose a name that's big enough mm. to c- contain our work and our whole life. Um,
1: and how do you call yourself?
2: I call myself a champion of the human spirit right now mm. because I think that's really what I'm about. It's just trying to recall people to the fact that we are a very good species and that we can do so much and that things can be pleasurable working together and often joyful working together if we're truly united in a common cause. Mm. Um, and, and the other reason I, I, I want to put out the, the message about our own capacity in the human spirit is because I also realize that change happens when small groups of people get together mm-hmm. and start something, just like Margaret Mead said in that beautiful right. quote of hers. Yeah, yeah. So we all seem to know the quote, but very few of us actually believe that it pertains to us.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Seems like maybe there's a lot of things we don't think pertain to us in the world. Right. Um, So talk to me about fear. Help us understand um, one of your fearless questions is what's so bad about fear? And what do you mean
2: by that? Isn't fear well, a bad thing? That was an almost a joke question when I this is taken from a speech talk right. I gave at Shanghala right. Institute. And it was that you know, fear is a very comfortable place to be actually. Oh. Um, it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of motivation to get past fear. it is you know, like it's more it's easier to be depressed. Mm. And it's easier to be fearful than to get up and start to take action. Hmm. So that was a, you know, just a question to provoke us about. Let's look at how comfortable we are with fear.
1: Mm-hmm. And so then the world does need us to be fearless in order
2: to make things happen.
1: Because that's the it place where
2: we can does. It's not going to change. Okay. Um, hmm. And uh, nothing. You know, this is just what I think we need to understand. Yeah. Nothing is going to get better without us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we have a central role to play here. And we have good examples elsewhere in the world where, you know, when people have already lost everything, they step forward and take bigger risks than we're willing to take because we're trying to, you know, keep it all together and keep mm-hmm. everything we have our jobs, our status, our money, our safety. Hmm. So it's harder for us to take risks. I'm I'm quite aware of that, even in my own life. But at some point, you know, the risk doesn't even have to be very big. I mean, this whole idea that change starts with small groups of people getting together, that's not a very risky thing, actually. It can lead you into high-risk situations, but it doesn't start as a high-risk thing. Right. Do you think do you see in
1: your travels you engage with many different cultures, and um, do you see that fear and the ability to take action shows up differently in different cultures?
2: Well, Are, for instance, I, I think what I see more is because I, you know, right now I'm very focused on women yes, leadership yes. because I see so many fearless women in third world countries stepping mm-hmm. forward now for them it's it, they're not culturally supported to do that they're just right. desperate they're at you know they're at their wit's end and they realize more than we do that um, it doesn't work doing it mm-hmm. you know the men's way right so um, they're stepping forward but I but it's a huge risk for them but they're at the point of you know no return hmm
1: and yet, those of us in the U.S., um, seems it seems like there's a lot of fear in our culture in the U.S. these days. And I don't know if that's a Western culture in
2: general. or if No, it's worldwide. It's worldwide. I mean, it's, it's the dominant strategy, I think, of leaders, senior leaders, mm. to control people and mm. hold us um, to what they want us to do.
1: And serves to keep us still, right? Absolutely, uh, and quiet. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, and, It's a classic approach to holding people in thrall.
1: And how does that relate to the statement that Kofi Annan made um, a few years ago
2: when he said the future of the world depends on women? Yeah, well, I think it, there's two meanings to that. And the first is that the future of the world really does depend on women stepping forward with their leadership because we do lead in different ways and we do think about the future. We give back to the community. We worry about the children. And we um, just in general think about the whole of the community. Hmm. But I think the other interpretation i've given to his quote is that the way women and children are treated right now in the world is more than appalling i mean you know destroying villages raping women these are now weapons of war and it's so much so um, civilian populations have become a primary weapon of war destroying people and villages and agriculture and turning children into soldiers in the worst cases. Mm -hmm. So I think um, what Kofi Annan might have meant, or I let him mean, is that we really need to start paying attention to what happens to women and children in this world. Otherwise, we won't have a future. Hmm.
1: Hmm. And so the women who are most desperate, who you see stepping forward and... um, Being willing to take a stand and make a difference—does that? Does it have to be at a point of desperation? I mean, I mean, I mean. Well, let me back up. Well,
2: I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to that. I just see. You know, I know what I see out there, Uh and I know that we're still very cautious here as women leaders,
4: Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. and we don't step forward, and we're still trying to make nice.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and so, so where that comes from feels to me like it comes from wanting to have, it, have everything, oh. including, you know, being loved, uh, having our jobs, not offending the men. Um, There's a lot of constraints mm-hmm. on us.
1: And you are doing and have been for a while a Women's Leadership Revival
2: Tour. I have. We've, we'll have completed 11 of these. Um, by mid-June, oh, cool. and they are designed to help um, us American and Canadian women really reflect on um, what's happening to women in the world, what is the gift we can offer in our leadership, and also to understand that the world changes when small groups of people get together
1: mm-hmm.
2: and understanding the power we have. Mm-hmm. How's this being received as you travel around the world? Well, they've been wonderful events. I mean, and they are revival tours. We have music, we have fun, we have a lot of high energy, and we have really good conversations. Mm-hmm.
1: So, mm-hmm. When we saw you in San Francisco on um, one of your Women's Leadership Revival Tour meetings, um, you were sharing a story about how. The concept of women's leadership revival was perceived by
2: um, one of the, by a woman in Africa, South Africa. South Africa. Yeah, she's the one who actually helped me, she prompted me to develop. And design this tour because I had introduced a group of women that I had, I lead women's learning journeys to South Africa. Mm. I have one coming up the end of October. If anyone's interested, they could Great. go again on my website and look for the women's learning journey to South Africa on there and we were just getting ready to be to meet with women leaders of South Africa mm-hmm. and I introduced my group from Canada the US, Australia and Europe as tired Western women. So this great woman, Jill Marcus who was very active in the struggle against apartheid and has had many government positions, she got up and she looked around the room and she said, could someone please explain to me what you Western women have to be tired about?
4: <laughs>
2: because, you know, our social problems, our uh, societal problems are nothing compared to what South Africa or most other country, you know, mm-hmm. countries deal with. But there we were, really feeling exhausted. I mean, we are exhausted. So it's, it's a great question for us all to think about. And... um I don't know what the answer is for each individual, but it's good to explore what is it that makes us so tired?
1: That's a great question. We're going to talk more about that when we come right back.
3: Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com
1: Growing a business successfully not only requires increased sales, but profitable sales. Over 80% of small businesses will fail to do this in the first five years. On Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business with Tom Long, he will share his years of business experience to maximize profitability and ensure longevity and sustainability. Broadcasting every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business, provides insight into key areas of business, coordination of management, finance, operations, time management, people, and marketing, as well as sales. Tune in and learn how to grow your business into that mighty oak every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business.
0: Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven day gathering that will change your world. Call 866 458 2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leader. The world has been waiting for. Call today.
3: Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
0: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
1: We're speaking with Meg Wheatley today, author of Finding Our Way, Leadership for an Uncertain Time, and co-founder of Burkana Institute, a global charitable foundation dedicated to serving life-affirming leaders. Um, so, Meg, you were talking about American Western women being tired. Um, why are we so exhausted?
2: I think it's an individual question. I mean, certainly... I've thought about it a lot. Um, I think that some of it I've already explained, which is our hope that we can have it all, that we can exert power but not offend anybody. Mm -hmm. I think some of it is that... Um, we're actually told there is no problem in this country. You know, that if you're a talented woman, you can make it. So the discrimination we face in the workplace or the inequality of our marriage partnerships, uh, where women still do most of it, you know, most of the work, Mm -hmm. those things are, we're told they're not happening. So there's also a lot of denial going on about whether there is any inequality Mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. So those are two big factors that I've thought about. Sounds interesting.
1: I wonder too about the um, issue of purposeful work, because a lot of people, men and women, have work have
2: jobs that lack meaning. And uh, and increasingly uh, as we get more harried and busy and task driven at work, um, we actually don't have the capacity to find meaning in that. I mean, we lose the part of the brain that is where we derive meaning mm. and see patterns. So even if you had a job that was meaningful to you. I mean, we have this issue even at Burkana where our work is deeply meaningful, but we are now so focused on tasks and lists and making things happen that mm-hmm. we have to stop more often and just get into a reflective space about the meaning of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can't do that if you just stay in your crazed I have to make a list mode. Right, right. And so that requires, uh, you call
1: them life-affirming leaders. And um, can you talk about about that?
2: What's a life-affirming leader? Well, a life-affirming leader is quite simply... Um, Any leader who pays more attention to the contribution and creativity of others than to his or herself. In other words, as a life-affirming leader, you're actually trying to bring out other people's capacity and commitment, Mm -hmm. and you're not focused on just serving your own ego needs. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a definition, I would think, of a good teacher. Yeah, someone who cares more about us than they do and, you know, strives to bring out our potential. Hmm. Um, so we're all familiar with this place, but whether we uh, experience it, you know, in our organizations these days, of course.
1: Right. It's almost like the culture of business is counter
2: to that. Yes, I would, I would definitely yeah. agree with that.
1: Yeah. And so... It, I wonder sometimes about, you know, we say we want to change organizations, we say we want to change corporate cultures, and yet we have an economic system that drives the structure and the way we have businesses set up. Um, are we going to have to change our entire economic
2: system of yeah, capitalism? Absolutely. Now, Rianne Eisler has just written a book about this very topic, um, really Trying to help us see that there could be a different form of economics. I think it's, I haven't read it yet, but I'm sitting here holding it. It's called The Real Wealth of Nations Creating a Caring Economics. There are people who are out there really presenting the models, the perspectives, and the paradigms Mm -hmm. for how we could create a world that works for most people. Mm -hmm -hmm. Um, But the strength and power and dominance of the economic model is something we really need to understand. It is a formidable opponent.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I was being polite there. I
1: understand. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy, it sure is. And you know, I mean, I um, having been in the field of organizational change for many, many years and. Seeing some changes happen, small incremental changes, um, on occasion, um, very large wholesale change, which seems to be very painful for people um, and seems to not have a lot of um, uh, compassion for people in that process. Um, I'm wondering about, you know, some of the change models that you have. I know one of them is. Um, it's a change model that you portray in Finding Our Way, and it has those five those five steps, um, cooling,
2: quieting, enriching. Well, that's for dealing with aggression. I mean, that's a particular process model that I pulled from very ancient Buddhist teaching about how you deal with aggressive situations. Ah. Um, and that's both personal level or at a problem-solving in a group Mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of organizational change strategies, Uh um, I'm only recommending and doing myself ones that are highly participative, Mm. that really do engage the intelligence of the whole system. That bring people together where we have sufficient time to reflect. I don't care what those processes are, but I have some basic criteria <laughs> that I know um, that I know works, even yeah. though it's difficult. Yeah. So, um,
1: are you finding that um, corporate leaders are responsive to
2: this? Not at all. Not at all. No. I I've given up on corporate leaders. <laughs> I gave up on them actually several years ago. But Really? What I've seen since 9-11 is such a retrenchment to command and control mm. leadership based yeah. out of fear. Yeah. And, and that's why I wrote Finding Our Way because this Taking back control when you're feeling that things are uncertain is exactly the wrong move. Yeah. It actually disengages people. It uh, leads to uh, what we have now, which is record high levels of disengaged workers. I mean, when you're in a high-risk situation, what you want is people who can act on their own intelligence, can make decisions who feel trusted, and then you get maximum intelligence Mm -hmm. and you get really good responses. And Katrina is a great example of that because at the community level, there was immediate response and continuing. That's where the really good work is being done in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Um, At the bureaucratic level, at the at the city, state, and federal level, nobody could get it together. I mean, they spent three days arguing over who had jurisdiction. Um, So it's really important that we notice that when we clutch, when we get scared, if we reach for control, we're actually only creating more chaos. Hmm. Boy, that sure is counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, the place I learned this was in the U.S. Army, which in battle does not use command and control; they use high engagement of every soldier, and that's, that's why fascinating. It, why it works. So
1: that's fascinating because um, we view the military as so aggressive.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, mm, my my mind goes in all different directions, such as, well, you know, the military actions. um, Well, in fact, Richard Strozzi Heckler, who's done some work, um, has talked about how the military is not directing the actions in
2: Iraq. Right. That has been a constant cry from the generals who write their letters and who go public and who speak up that, you know, they have not been allowed to run this war the way they know they should. Mm -hmm. They didn't even want to go to war, as I learned from one colonel. Right. But, uh, Yeah. yeah.
1: And so I'm wondering, um, going back to the model of transforming aggression into creativity, is there an application of that model to a situation like we had after 9-11 before we Absolutely. decided that it was a Absolutely.
2: <laughs> I mean, we went, you know, there's four steps to that practice, um, which is first you try and cool the situation down. You try and pacify emotions and just cool things down. And then the second stage is you look for more information. You look to enrich the conversation to bring in all points of view. And, and then you try and attract to you the resources you need so you could have a full picture. And only at the last stage is then you talk about, okay, what do we have to let go of? What what would we have to destroy here? You know, just not let it continue. Now, we missed the first three stages there. You know, right. if you do the first three stages, you find that um, you don't have to destroy very much. You know, you have a kind of laser-like precision about. Well, maybe we don't need this program anymore. Maybe we don't need um, this belief anymore. But we just leapt immediately to the most aggressive stance possible and uh, and accepted all that. Right. So
1: fascinating conversation. We're gonna be right back with Meg
4: long.
3: More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Mr. Simplicity, Bill Jensen is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. He wants you to do less stupid stuff so you can do more of what matters. He'll coach you as a speaker, at your event, or one-on-one. He'll help you by consulting side-by-side with your teams and he'll teach you through his books and downloads from his website. Visit today at www.simplerwork.com and he welcomes your emails at bill at simplerwork.com Smarter, not harder is your work and your life, condensed and clarified. Mr. Simplicity Is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. He'll give you the tools you need to do less stupid stuff and do more of what really matters. Let's succeed together. Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with a product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the bottom line for business talk voice america business
3: business information you need from the stock market to starting and managing your business voice america business at voiceamerica.com
0: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
1: We're speaking with Meg Wheatley, and Meg in our last segment. This is our last segment, and um, I have seen that you said in the past there were three things, three images that actually changed your life. Um, This happened, I read this a long time ago, a picture of a chemical reaction. Another picture was a termite tower in Australia, and there was a third, which was actually an aspen grove uh, near your home in Utah. Can you talk about why those
2: three things had an impact on you? Well, the chemical reaction, which is the Belisov-Zabotinsky reaction, shows that when you put chemicals together, instead of them just blending, they form these beautiful spiral patterns that rival any human art we've ever seen. And it's a great example of how life organizes into patterns and into higher levels of order um, by itself, not with human intervention, the termite mound was another great example of self-organization, because it it shows how even uh, simple little termites can build very complex structures without plans, without an architect, without a boss, but all through their interactions. And the aspen grove has been a wonderful constant teacher about interconnectedness because when we look at a grove of aspens, we're really looking only at one tree because they're all connected through their root system, and that's how they propagate. They send out roots, and uh, so they never lose their connection. Mm -hmm. And I think those are still very essential lessons for us all. Now, you can find... um, You know, the lesson about interconnectedness or oneness is in every spiritual tradition that I've looked at. Right. But here you see it um, in beautiful aspen groves. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. Which is very much like you were saying, that um, all of the people out in the world who are in discreet pockets trying to teach the elements of conversation and collaboration and emergent ideas, um, somehow there needs to be a network created there, like the aspen trees. Yes, definitely. And so what would you say to someone um, who said, okay, Meg, this is all great, we hear you, tell me what to do?
2: Well, I think we have to... um I think that's a dumb question. <laughs> that's that's going back to we were talking about Peter Block's a book. That the right. answer to how is yes. You just uh, have it. you know what Peter Block so beautifully explained is that when we say so, tell me what to do. I get it. Tell me what to do. That's just mm-hmm. a, a more clever way of putting up a barrier to having to do anything. It's like, okay, you fold your arms and you say, so as soon as you tell me what to do, I'll go do it. Well, that's the old paradigm right there. That's command and control. That's passivity, dependency, everything we're Mm -hmm. trying to get away from. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really essential that we realize that in all these great changes, they didn't begin because people knew what they were doing. They began because people felt they had no choice but to, but to cr- create these changes, and therefore they just started and they learned as they went. You look at the history of Google, eBay, uh, America Online, they didn't know what they were doing at the yeah. start. They yeah. made it up as they went along. Yeah. So this question of, well, tell me what to do, comes from, the place that is the problem to begin with.
1: To begin yeah. with.
2: Oh, yeah. 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 And,
1: um, boy, when I think of that, I think about uh, little kids and I think about their education and how, you know, first thing we do is say, make sure you line up in a straight line and, you know, right. sit quietly and don't ask questions and et cetera, et cetera. So right right out the get-go, we're teaching kids not to Absolutely. think for themselves. Yeah.
2: Right. Absolutely. So,
1: and so as individuals, we have to take responsibility and lead our own lives in ways before our leaders in our country and organizations.
2: We can't wait for them. That's, that's exactly the language yeah. I use. We can't wait for them. It's up to us. Even the good leaders are completely distracted these days, so we can't wait for them. It's got to be us. Well, and so they're distracted... Doing what? They're distracted by these incredible demands on them. I mean, even a good leader is distracted by his board, his or her board, uh, by the pressure for performance, by quarterly returns. People in the nonprofit sector are completely distracted by having to measure everything in order to get funding and to write these ridiculously inane grants. Um that look for measures that don't measure anything significant. I mean, we're all distracted in doing a lot of tasks right now. And uh, just responding to emails is a distraction for most people. And uh, we just need to understand this.
1: Well, there's so much more... um to talk to you about, but our time is up today. Well, it's Um, been a delightful conversation on my end. Well, likewise for me, I feel like we could go on and on. Um, To learn more about uh, some of the concepts that Meg is speaking of today, you can read any number of her books, uh, the most recent being Finding Our Way, Leadership for an Uncertain Time. And, of course, one of my favorites, Turning to One Another, Simple Conversations to Restore Hope to the Future. And, Meg, your website is just margaretwheatley.com. margaretwheatley.com. And the Berkana Institute is dot .org. Great. We so appreciate you being here, Meg, taking the time. I, am, I know that your time is precious given that you know, travel the world. This what I like
2: to do with my time. Right. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much for sharing with us. Remember, everybody, you can listen to us every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific U.S. time, and you can download, and we are global, on the web at business.voiceamerica.com. So think big. The world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito.
4: 3, 4,